back to the EDM podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. As always, this episode is brought to you by EDMProd.com, an online resource dedicated to teaching electronic producers the tools and tactics needed to make better music. If you want to level up your production skills, whether it's learning the basics, writing better music, improving your mixes, or developing a more creative mindset, we've got you covered. Now, in this episode, I have a chat with Seth Hills. Seth Hills is a Dutch DJ and producer who's released on labels like Stamped Records, Revealed Recordings, and Axtone Records. In this episode, we start off with Seth Hills' background, discussing his transition from guitar hero expert to musician and producer. He exclusively produced Hardstyle for his first few years, and he explains why he moved away from that to the more open club-centric style that he's writing now. He also breaks down why he avoided attending a music school purposefully, choosing to attend a marketing school instead. He also explains what the process was for him to actually get his first track signed to Revealed. Later on, Seth explains how he fell into ghost producing and how it really helps him to stay more creative as an artist. He definitely does enjoy it. And he also talks about what the process was like for signing to Martin Garrix's Stamped Records. Now on the production side, Seth breaks down what his writing and production workflow currently is. He explains how he creates such creative arrangements in his tracks. If you're a fan of his music, you know what I'm talking about. Discussing how he uses synth samples and post-processing to build up his drop sections. He also explains what his approach is for mixing down his tracks. So if you've ever wanted to know what goes into a mix sound like his, you'll definitely want to listen on. Later on, Seth discusses how he's been making the most out of the pandemic situation, which has put a lot of artists in an uncomfortable situation. He also breaks down the exact steps that he took to develop his own signature sound. It's a really great story that he gets into. So if you're currently struggling to find your own unique sound, you'll definitely want to listen on and hear how he did it. Now, as we slide into the episode, I'm going to play you a single off of Seth Hill's brand new Void EP. It's a track called Revelation. It's my personal favorite from the EP. It'll give you a flavor for his music and get you excited for the episode. And if you like it, be sure to go stream it online. With that, let's wrap things up and get to the interview. Here's the EDM Podcast with Seth Hills. Don't stop till the club goes silent. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Seth Hills. Seth, how are you doing today? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm good. Uh, I actually just uh, came back from a uh, big exercise. And uh, right now, I'm actually in the studio. I'm, I'm ready for like a studio evening and maybe a night. So to get started, I want to learn a bit more about what your background with music is. You can go back as far as you like, but I'd like to learn what initially got into music and later on music production. Well, if I'm starting... Really, at the, the beginning of the whole of the whole music story, it's actually when I was four. I saw like a, like a band, and I saw like a drummer, and I was saying to my dad, uh, like, "Hey, uh, that's that looks really nice. I actually want to do that as well." So uh, he actually bought me like a drum kit when I was four. I think I was four, maybe even three years old. I, mean, I don't remember that well, but um, it was like really small drum kit, and I was like hitting the drum kit like the whole day on the on my in my in my, in my sleeping room and. Uh, <laughs> It was like, yeah, what are you even doing? But I was like, I was making fun of it. At least I had fun. So um, yeah, I didn't take it very seriously, obviously, because I was like four years old. So I didn't realize like what I was doing actually. And I remember when I was eight or nine, uh, I saw like a band as well, uh, like a big band, like with trumpets and everything. And I was like, yeah, hey, I want to play the trumpet. I don't know why, but I, I just wanted to play the trumpet. So uh, I even took like lessons for I think, like one year. Uh, from nine 
till 10. And I remember when I was 12, I was actually, um, this is a funny story because my brother bought like Guitar Hero for the, for the Xbox. And um, yeah, I, I got like so addicted to it. And like, um, I know, I, I remember that I was like, playing on the highest level. And my dad was like, hey, maybe we can buy like a, a real guitar. Maybe it's, it's <laughs> like funny. Like, like I was yeah. saying, like, I want to try like the real guitar because now I like play this whole game out, like playing on the highest level. So maybe I can buy like a real guitar. Yeah. And I was 12 back then and I really enjoyed like playing music. Yeah. And um, yeah, I took, also took lessons for the guitar until like, till I was 15. And back then I discovered like, it's like, I think I was 14 or 15. I discovered like school, like Swedish house mafia. And that was like a new dimension for me. I was like really interested in it. Yeah. That's, that's where I actually, um, actually I, uh, I bought myself like, uh, I guess like an iMac back then and I installed logic. And it's funny because I actually was also, I also got really into hardstyle music because that's yeah. a really typical Dutch thing. And uh, so actually, yeah, I don't know why, but I started with making hardstyle music besides from the guitar lessons that I still did back then. And then like after five, six months, I quitted like the guitar lessons and I was like, hey, this is, this is something that I like even more than I like the guitar part, you know? And um, yeah, mm. I think I made like hard stuff for like the first two or three years that I made music. And um, back then, um, I think I was like 17, 18, and then I was still really into like house like of course the new martin garrick stuff the big room that that really uh blowed up and i was just trying for fun like hey this is also really nice um i kind of had the feeling like okay this is awesome for me it was really like a creative box that you were into and when i was discovering like the whole edm like the whole EDM, not only electro or big room, but like the whole scene, like progressive everything. It's like so big, you can you can do whatever you want. And like creatively, there was like really a eye opener for me that like, hey, this is I can do everything I want right now, you know. And um, I think I was eighteen, nineteen, where I really decided, okay, I'm gonna switch. Like I'm gonna make my because I like so much showers to produce. Like I'm gonna make my own shower. <laughs> and yeah. since I was actually eventually a hardstyle producer, where where I started, like. I actually translated that into my first uh, releases, uh, as you might know from Revealed. And also that yeah. was like the first Set Hills release. Like a lot of people told me like, hey, this has a lot of high cell influence, influences. And um, I think that's funny because actually the music stood out because of that. And um, yeah, that was kind of how I shaped my own sound eventually uh, in, uh, in the house scene. So I kind of want to go back to you kind of getting better at production during those years where you were producing hard style. You know, at that point you were, you know, 14, 15, 16. Were you thinking about music as a career at that point? Because it seems like once you kind of switch styles, you quickly got things going with your first release on Revealed. So kind of talk me through where you were at with, you know, music as a career, with school, thinking about going to, you know, conservatories or things like that. Kind of talk on it. Yeah, that's actually really funny because I was talking uh, with a friend about this, like, actually yesterday and um i remember when i was in high school like we were talking like everybody knew what it, what he was going to do like later on like we had to pick like a school after high school and uh, i remember like everybody had this plan like i want to be a lawyer i want to be this i want to be a fire i don't know but i was like what should i do because i i really don't know what to do like what i, did, I really didn't know and um so i was like okay um i had to search for something that i really liked so when i was 15 
I started, uh, that's really the, the year I started producing. I was like, hey, this is something actually I really like. Um, I, I don't know. And I, I know there is like a possibility to, um, to make uh, your living out of it, out of the music. Yeah. So um, I was like, okay, I, this is something I like. And there is a possibility to, to make this a living. So why not? I was at first, I think at the first year, I actually already realized like, hey, this is something I want to do. And uh, this is something I can do eventually if I'm investing enough in it. Like if I, I was very aware that I, that I had to like invest like at least like eight hours per day if you actually wanted to go get to get somewhere. It's not like something you do like uh, two times a week, like two hours, and then uh, three years later you have like your release schedule and everything. I was very aware of it, but I, I was like so motivated the first year already that I was like, okay. I don't. I don't even know what to, what else I can do with my life at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I decided to uh, to not go to a musical because I didn't want to force myself to make music. I still wanted to to feel it like as a hobby. So I did like a marketing marketing school after my um, high school. So when I came back, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do now uh, music like for fun, like as my hobby. Yeah, I was three years on the marketing school, and then in the last year, like everything kind of changed like i had my first festivals here in holland and uh shortly after that my first release so uh, eventually i was very happy like the process about the process like afterwards so i'm curious to hear how you got those like first few tracks released so you talk about your first single as seth hills was um two-track ep with revealed so how did you initially get connected with them especially if you were you know still in school i'm sure a little bit busy working on your degree yeah um i remember um like a friend of mine, uh, he had like a collab with uh, with a Hartwell, and uh, we shared a lot of music, and uh, we even like we spent a lot of time in the studio back then. And, uh, I knew him from from my high school at time. Actually, his uh, his atmospheres, and um, he. Uh, I remember when uh, when Hartwell went to his house to to finish the collab, and um, he was at like showing. They were showing some unreleased music to each other, and I was like, "Hey, I have a friend, and uh, he's making." Uh, He's making uh, music, and uh, it might fit. It might even fit your label, and uh, yeah, that's where uh, I got in contact with him. He, he brought us together in contact, and uh, together with Revealed, they decided to. Uh, it actually took a while because th- we made the track in 2014, I think, and um, in 2015 or even 2016, it got premiered at the Ultra Miami, and then it got released like a month after. So um, yeah, crazy actually. Uh, if, if I think back of it. So kind of walk me through, you said that you had that um, marketing degree that took you about like three years. So you finished that. Where were you at with your music career at that point? Just to get a sense of like when you started to go full time with this. Actually, when I uh, finished my school, I kind of fell in a gap because I, did, I wasn't even set hills when I uh, like was finished my school. You know, um, I did had a, a side project together with Atmospheres as Atmo. And that was like really, really uh, underground uh, house music, really hard because we were trying to, we, we were actually really good in the studio together. Like the vibes were really good and we decided to like, okay, we're just going to make music together uh, just for fun and uh, release it uh, under this alias. And um, yeah, that was like really experimental, like not not even like commercial. But um, actually I, um, when I finished school, like in that summer I was playing uh, big festivals like Defcon, uh, Cubase, Tomorrowland. Mm-hmm. So it kind of looked like at that point, like, hey, this is like also a good time to um, to 
like quit school or like finish school and just go on to the music. But eventually I quitted the Atmo project and I wanted to, to do something for myself because I wanted to, to have the music in my own control, of course. And um, yeah, that's where the actually like, I think like at least six months, like nothing happened. Like I just made music and I was sitting home working a little bit at my dad's company to just earn the money. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I was just, he was just, yeah, what are you going to do with, my, with your life? Because it looked like it happened, but like at this point, um, there's not happening that much. And uh, I was really, also the hardest thing like was trying to find my sound again. And um, so I was really happy with the reveals releases uh, when they came. Like, uh, I think it, it took like, uh, the, yeah, the, I was in contact in the, in the winter uh, after I quit it with Hardwell, but like once it came out, it was already the summer. So actually like one year, it was like really quiet. And, but I, I spent like so much time in the studio that year. And uh, that's where I, after that, I, I, I started to shape like Set Hills. I came up with the name Set Hills just before the releases from Revealed. So, yeah. uh, and after the release from Revealed, it kind of, that's where it kind of started to, to, uh, to, yeah, to get slowly to the point where I'm right now. So at what point were you able to transition into not having to work at your dad's company anymore to be full-time Seth Hills making music? Yeah, even before I um, officially started the Seth Hills project, I came in touch with Ghost Producing, which really helped me like financially, like still yeah. making music, uh, making a living out of music, you know? And um, I had a lot of different tracks laying around because I was experimenting with a lot of different styles. So yeah. I, I remember I had like 20 tracks laying around, like unreleased. And I didn't want to release them myself because I I started to develop my own sound. And I, I made like future house track, progressive tracks. And I was like, okay, what should I do with it? And then I came in contact with some guys. And uh, I could sell the tracks. I could make like new tracks. So um, yeah, from that point when I didn't have like shows yet, I uh, actually uh, was kind of busy as well uh, with uh, ghost producing. Is that something that you're still doing now with ghost producing? Uh, yeah, my, like the ghost producing part is like, um, it depends on uh, how busy I am with, with my current, uh, yeah. current profile. Like, um, I remember back in 2018, um, I was working at a company, which I can tell the name of. It's like pretty underground, not underground, but like uh, they don't like yeah. uh, one day because uh, <laughs> it's like ghost production. And because um, I wanted to also take the ghost production to the next step because I really like uh, ghost production because I can't. Like when I'm producing in First Side Hills, it's like in one certain box. Uh, when I do ghost production, I can then do like every kind of production, which keeps my mind fresh and keeps me like motivated in the studio as well. So in 2018, I started working uh, at the company and yeah, I did some really crazy uh, production back then, when I'm, when I'm, which I'm really proud of. But since right now, I have a lot of time and um, I actually uh, doing some ghost production again as well, but like not on the level that I was supposed to do back two years ago. It's interesting to hear that because I think a lot of people are curious about ghost production and more often than not, it seems like people generally don't enjoy it. But for you, it seems like you've got the perfect balance where you can do what you need to for your Seth Hills project, but you can still scratch that creative itch with different styles that might not align directly with what your brand is. So it seems like it's something that you you know can make money off of and do well, but also enjoy to a large extent. Yeah. And mostly it's like, like the most, when I do that, it's mostly to keep my mind fresh because I can do like so many different things, as I said. And uh, when, I, when I start like, when I stop doing ghost productions, then my creativity like is like way less than I 
that I'm yeah. doing Ghost Predictions. So Stomped Records has been your home for about the past two years. So kind of talk about how you initially connected with them and what made it so that you wanted to stay and continue working with them. Yeah, that's also like a really funny story always to tell because um, back in 2018 when I did a lot of ghost fiction, I was kind of redeveloping my sound because when I did shows in 2018 and 2017, I found out that I actually didn't play my own tracks. And that was that's not a good thing. You know, if you're, you're, like, yeah. you're like a brand and you have to stand for your brand. And um, I always played like other tracks. And I think like if you're playing shows, like the highlights of your sets always have to be like your own tracks. They don't have to. There shouldn't be like tracks from different artists. Yeah. And um, so I decided, okay, I'm going to zoom out a little bit. Like, uh, don't focus that much on the shows. Like, first things first, I have to get my music straight again. And obviously, I, I kind of made like hard, aggressive, big room back then. And um, yeah, that's, that's something I didn't really like to play anymore in sets. I zoomed out a little bit, did a lot of different predictions back then. And um, I was, like for my sound, I was... Um, Okay, like thinking like I'm doing a show, like if I'm doing a show with only like own made music, what what do I play? Like and what's like yeah. my favorite track at the moment, like to play at shows and um, what do I wanna see in the crowd? Like what how uh, do I wanna get my music supported by other or artists, you know? Uh, yeah. there's like so many things you can ask yourself to to get mm-hmm. like your own sound. And I think the most important thing is like what what do you like the most? Like, what, what what's the sickest track in your head? Like, wh- why do you like that track? And why do you like that track? And why do you like to play out that track live? And if you combine all those things in your head, I think that's like a really important way to create your your signature sound. And uh, like back then, I started experimenting, and I realized like, hey, I'm playing more like clubby tracks, not like I never play like big room tracks. So why should I make big room tracks? <laughs> so I, 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 but I still wanted to have like high energy and. From that point, I realized like, like, hey, there's like a gap in the club scene track, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there like there are like plenty of club traps, but the reason why I'm played like I'm not playing most of them is because the lack of energy, in my opinion. Like I understand I fully understand the tracks and why they are made, but like in my opinion, like I skipped like so many tra- club tracks because they're like too low in energy. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna experimenting with making club tracks in, with high energy and like also with like weirder sounds i, w- I want to make like tracks that are like if you're hearing the sounds it should be like sounding as a new sound in your head like not like oh this is that preset or this is that yeah. sound or sample like all my sounds has to sound like unique and with yeah. that in my head i started to experiment um actually the first track uh, i made uh, fire back then together with magnificence and uh, I remember we had a really hard time uh, releasing it. Like we sent it to a lot of labels and they're all like, okay, this is sounding nice, this is sounding proper, but it's like too weird for us. And I remember like uh, on my music week, like we got a video from uh, from a guy that was at a pool party and Axwell uh, suddenly played our track. We were like, okay, this is crazy. <laughs> like he's playing it yeah. on a pool party. <laughs> and I remember that we were talking like, wait a minute, Ultra is like in two days. Is this gonna happen? You know, like, is he gonna play mm-hmm. the track? And um, yeah, back then um, we were watching the live stream, and um, yeah, he actually played it. I think I can't remember if he played it like a Swedish house mafia or like Expo and Grosso Expo, but he did play it. And um, like in the week after, we got in contact with Exton, and they were like, "Yeah, we want to release this track." Yeah, and uh, still today, uh, it's like my biggest track so far. And uh, when it was released, it was like released straight before the festival season, and. 
I remember we were together at Magnificence at Tomorrowland back then. And like every stage that we went to, um, of course, not at techno stages, but like every kind of EDM DJ, like play the track. It was like crazy. And we even spoke with Excel that day. And it was like, yeah, everybody's playing this track. So the support was so big on something that was for me, like really new, but also for the scene, like the, the response was like so good. Like, I got like a lot of messages from big artists like, hey, I really dig this style. And if you got some more tricks, uh, just send it, you know. And uh, from that point, um, I decided, okay, like this weird club sound, I don't know what it is, but this is going to be my sound. So uh, yeah, from that point, uh, I started making so much tricks um, in that style. You know, I just wanted to make follow-ups for fire. This just sometimes, uh, like just with the same mindset as I made fire. So I had like 12 tracks ready. And I remember I had a show uh, in August in the summer and uh, Julian Jordan was playing there as well. And uh, we were talking in the hotel before the party and he was like, yeah, show me some music. I'm curious. And I had like 14 tracks uh, on my laptop. So I was like, okay, hold on a minute. Just like, and I listened to, uh, he listened to it and he was like, hey, can you send this to me? Because uh, just send it to me, you know? So yeah. I sent it, yeah. So I sent him the, this, this folder with unreleased music. And I remember like he texted me like, hey, um, I'm in the studio with uh, Martin Garrix and he really likes uh, one track, you know, which was Whisper back then, and then he might release it. So I was like, yeah, it's free, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not released yet. So uh, just uh, it's fine for me, <laughs> of course. <Yeah>. And uh, <laughs> some time I went over and uh, again, he was in the studio uh, the week after together with the main a r Stephen. And again, with Martin Garrix in one studio, and he showed all the music as well. And I remember, um, like, the main A&R guy, uh, he called me the same day when I was working at the production company. And I was like, hey, yeah. I think we were, like, on the phone for, like, half an hour. And uh, he said, like, yeah, maybe come by. We really like your music, and it's really uh, fitting our brand at the moment. So um, just come by, and we have a little uh, chat for a bit. So, um, yeah. That's actually, I think the next week I uh, visited uh, Stanford my management and um, they were like, yeah, we were just, uh, you're just really, they were just really positive about my uh, sound and they were just really digging it. And uh, they also said it really fits like uh, Martin's sets. So um, we were not like signing music straight away, but they were like, if you have any new tracks, just send them like straight to Martin and straight to me. So of course, like that week I wanted to prove myself and they were like, so um enthusiastic about uh, my music sounding weird in a good way so i wanted to make even weirder music and like more <laughs> more energetic yeah. music so to prove myself i actually made like uh i think the same day i was like making weird samples making weird synths and then i, I came up with echo like in one day and i sent it to uh to julian to uh steven and to martin again and uh i think like the week outside, I got like a phone call from Martin himself or something. And I was like, hey, uh, I don't know what this track is, but it's like so insane. I'm going crazy and we're going to sign this. So I was like, okay, sick. I'm done, I'm done you yeah. know, uh, let's go. <laughs> so um, the same day, uh, my manager called me and he was like, hey, uh, I got some good news for you, actually. Um, so I was like, yeah, I already heard it. They want to sign a track. He was like, I know, but I've got some even better news for you because uh, Stephen just called me and uh, they want to sign you exclusively as an artist. So I was like, yeah, this, this is like, like so much happened in two weeks. Like it was going from zero to 100, like in like two minutes in my head, you know? And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, we finished the stand again, like, um, a month after I know, like doing like, 
I made a lot of strikes back then uh, because I was like so motivated um, to prove myself. And um, I think we released like nine or ten tracks last year on stand. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like they they're so supportive. I also got to play like so much uh, nice events. Um, I, I I played Mysteryland. I played Ushuaia. I played Ultra Singapore because of stand. Also, uh, it was like a like a moment where I realized like this is now it's really happening. Like. When you're releasing like here and there, like you're you're doing one release here, you're doing one release on Revealed. That can be cool, that can work, but if you're working like really closely together with one team, like I see this like as one team, like this is like standards for the music, I have my management and then I have me for the music, you know. And yeah. uh, if you have the feeling like you have like one team, then you can do like great things together. You can invest in each other on a longer term. And that's that's I realize that's really important in this scene. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many artists that have exactly what you're talking about, have, you know, singles on a lot of the good labels, but don't have that consistency that is necessary to have like a sustained, you know, career in this industry. And I think for you, it seems like even mentally, it's almost like reassuring to have this team of people around you that really enjoy this sound that you developed from scratch to be what your ideal sound would be. So I think it seems like you're sitting in a good situation with them right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like as you said, it's like really also like a big confirmation because like we, yeah. I had like all the tracks laying out and like finding a platform that really supports that sound and really can make it like like they can make something of it. Like it's like a it's like a big confirmation for also for yourself. Continuing on with what you've been doing with Stamped Records, you just released your, I believe your first debut EP with them, the Void EP. I want to talk about the production for it in a moment, but first off, just kind of talk about why you decided to, you know, release your first full body work with them. Yeah, um, because I had like so many singles uh, since last year, I always did like singles. Like I, I knew, uh, or I remember I had this, um, at this meeting with my manager and um uh, I had like already like five or six tracks ready for like um, 2020. And I was like, okay, this is, it's like February or January. I can do like singles. So I'm like planned mm-hmm. till probably September or October and then I'm done. But I know I'm going to get bored of these tracks eventually. Like I wanted to put them out faster. And because there are like so many singles and I got like so many, so many great support also from fans, but also from artists. Like I wanted to do something like next level. And uh, yeah, that's where we decided to to do an EP, um, just to just to give something extra this time. And um, yeah, I actually wanted to tell like a story with it because it's it's kind of like it's in the same genre and style as the as the tracks I uh, did like last year. But for me, it felt like two point oh voice. Like it had it had to be like everything had to be like two point oh. Not not only the music, but also like the the covers, the artwork, the clips, and the branding. You know? Yeah. So I want to dive into the production for it later, but before we do that, I feel like a good production question to start with is the um, Stomped Masterclass that you did on YouTube. So the way that I actually found out about you was with that Masterclass, YouTube kept being like, hey, you like production videos, you have to see this. Give people kind of a recap of what that video was and what it was like to produce a track live in front of lots of producers. Because I think a lot of people listening to this podcast might be a little bit nervous to perform there. So kind of talk about what that Masterclass was for you. Yeah, I can tell you that I was like really, really nervous, and yeah. <laughs> because um, I think there was like um, like three hundred people uh, allowed or two hundred people in the room, and uh, I was like, okay, that's never going to be full. And uh, I remember when I walked out, there was like a line. I was like, okay, there there are people coming, and then I got grabbed some water, had a had a little talk, 
with, uh, with what circumstance. And then I came back and there were like, there was like a line before the line and like the whole, I was like, there's, they're never going to fit like in this room, you yeah. know? So people <laughs> were sitting on the chairs, they were sitting on the ground, they were standing. But like, okay, uh, <laughs> that was not what I expected. So I was really sick. Like I was really uh, grateful, like for all the people that came, but uh, also like it was my first masterclass. So I kind of was nervous. And um, like I, I told them, like, I saw so many masterclasses, like people uh, reconstructing tracks, like, like I did this, like that. Uh, but I was like, I didn't saw like a masterclass, like uh, somebody starting a track from scratch. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm not sure if it's working. Like, if it's not working, I'm going to switch to another project to Echo, uh, like it's a stamp release. And I'm gonna, just going to switch to Echo when it's like really not working. But I, I actually want to try this. Maybe... It gives me like a creative energy or whatever. And I just want to try this. Like people, I think people aren't seeing this often, like that uh, an artist is doing a live from scratch production. So I was like, if I wanted to go to a master's, that's something I really would love to see. Like I saw so many reconstructions. So um, yeah, but at that point that the that, that room was like really, really full. I was like, okay, maybe I'm regretting this, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I just started and uh, actually already had like the chords, which I made in the car on the way to the to the masterclass because I didn't want to start with like totally nothing. And um, yeah, it's really funny because I actually made like a pretty decent sketch at the end, which people are really uh, were quite like uh, positive about. So um, yeah, like I, I had like 60 minutes masterclass and at 40 minutes, I was like, okay, I'm going to switch to the project because this is, I don't know, the creative fire was like over and i was still kind of nervous so i actually switched yeah. to the echo project but it was really funny because i was uh, back home after that night and i opened my laptop and i was like hey this this this, this can actually work and i remember like the week after i just finished it um i think it was in march still so i still could send it to martin to to play it also and he was actually supposed to play it at ultra but in the end it didn't fit like it said but um mm -hmm. it's funny because that track from the masterclass actually became like infinite it was like my next release after that yeah so i kind of want to slide over into what your production workflow looks like i think one of the biggest questions that i have as a producer listening to your music is how you're able to infuse so much creative sound design and arrangement into, in particular, your drop. So I think a track that maybe we could talk about is Void off of your Void EP. I think there's so many cool and creative things going on in the drop. So, you know, from what you can remember from the production for that, kind of talk about how you ended up initially building up that track. Yeah, to be honest, sometimes, especially when I listen to Void, I'm asking myself the same question. <laughs> but I just, yeah. I started with a, like a really heavy thumb. Like, I, I don't know what, I wasn't like, I was, when I'm actually making music, like for fun, like I wanted to make something crazy, like, like really crazy just for fun. Like maybe it sounds yeah. like total garbage, but maybe it sounds like nice. And I remember for Void, I found like this Tom that you hear like in a job, like it's playing like rhythm. And uh, I remember I had like this kick and I had this Tom. I really had this like this tribal feeling, but like I don't want to make a tribal, track, so I'm gonna make it more electro. So I started to act like bass house influence, like the wobble. I kind of had like the lows, like really quickly. Like I think it's like in the five or ten minutes, I kind of had like the basses, and uh, it's actually there's no synths at all in the void. It's all samples, so uh, that that helped uh, for me as well. And it's right because it uh, helps me with the creative flow. I had this tom, I had this bass warps and samples. Um, and then I found this high plug 
it's like it's missing like it's nice but like people can't sing this along i'm I'm pretty sure they won't sing it along probably as well right now but um yeah it has just the bass sounds and like it needs some like recognition so i found like this i found like two bridge plugs that were like eventually i just dragged them into the project trying to find some nice spots for the plugs and then i played with the melody and it's kind of ripping because it's going like really high really low but like Accidentally, I, I I remember when I was trying to pitch it like plus one, but I'm, yeah, somehow it ended up plus five because I don't know. And I was like playing it. I'm like, hey, this is like a nice futuristic feeling. And uh, yeah, like the whole idea was there in like 15 minutes probably. And then I, the cleaning up for the samples and making it sound as that less like really long. The mix time was really, really hard for that one. Because yeah. uh, like so much different sounds in so much different spectrums in the in the EQ, um, but eventually yeah, I just clean. I started with like the really sub sub, and um, then the mid lows and the toms cleaning up, uh, shortened them a little bit, and then the plugs of course. And uh, but there wasn't like that much in the drop actually. So uh, yeah, it wasn't like that hard. But like combining this to to sound into like like a full drop was like quite a challenge. But uh, yeah, at the end it uh, kind of worked. So a couple of things off of that. First off, you mentioned that it was pretty much mainly samples that were the base of that. How often in your drops do you feel like you're using samples for those main lead sounds versus um, since that you're either building from scratch or using a preset for? I think like 80% of my tracks, uh, especially the leads, like the top leads are actually samples. Like mm-hmm. I really like to work with samples since like two years. And um, yeah, I think it's like uh, you can... Do like so much different thing like the editing is so much different like if i'm if i'm uh working with synths like i always i'm like so quickly bored like i always like yeah i heard this synth you know i heard this preset yeah. i heard this sound and when you have final sample it's sounding so much weirder already when you're only jugging a sample because every you have like so much different samples even way more than preset for priests probably yeah. uh, of course most of the samples are probably like percussion or even presets you know but you start editing from the moment that is already something weirder than like an init. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Somehow I just can go way crazier with a sample than a preset. Yeah. It's like already, it's like 50% of the work is already done for you to make it sound interesting. So you can, you know, put in another 30 minutes of work to make it sound even more interesting. So yeah, it's like yeah, another exactly. layer. And it's, it's not that I'm, that I'm like super lazy or something, but, um, I'm, uh, I just can't go crazier with a sample than I can go with a synth. I think. So for you, are you, you know, just pulling samples from uh, folders on your hard drive? Are you going on splice and kind of seeing what strikes you at that moment? What's your kind of workflow for actually grabbing those samples when you're working? Yeah, most samples are actually coming from splice. Like a lot of people expect uh, splice to have like really six samples, like one shots. Like, okay, you have a one shot, you put a camel fat on it, OTT, and you have your six in. But that isn't the case at all for me. Most of the samples that I found are actually coming from a loop and just cut it out the sample or filled it out from a loop and started to working on that. Or sometimes, I don't know, I just, just find yeah. a weird sample that I don't know how it came on my computer, but it's <laughs> or a loop. And I'm like, okay, what, I, what happens if I put like a weird distortion, pitch it down minus seven and uh, put another D on it, you know? To, it's, you don't always have to have in your head like this is gonna sound like this like this is when i put this effect on it it's gonna sound like this like i think at least 60 percent of the time like my sounds are made by accident like i i i put my mouse too fur too high you know 
like okay, I was trying to do the plus one, but it ended up plus five, but it's sounding weird, it's sounding yeah. nice. Or I tried to click on the OTT and I clicked on the distortion, and then oh, it's actually sounding really nice. Or I clicked the weird preset. It's always like you just have to try weird stuff and you don't. I think that one of the biggest tips I can give is don't think where you're. It's, yeah. it's hard, it's really hard to, to not think when you make music, but if you're not thinking that much, or at least don't overthink. It's something really cliche, but you, yeah, that's, I don't know, when you're, when you're thinking of what you're doing, like it, it somehow, it blocks, for me, it blocks my creativity. And just when I'm like dragging in samples, doing weird stuff, random stuff, that's where, for me, most of the time the magic happens. Yeah, I think the key thing there that I'm hearing is you're open to wherever the track wants to go. If you're thinking, okay, I've got to have the lead sound sounding like this, and then something else comes up that's cool, it seems like you're more than comfortable taking it to a different place. So I think being open to those different lanes of where a track can go is so often where the great, you know, great ideas and music comes from. Yeah, exactly. Exactly like that. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned that um, the mix down process, cleaning up void was really difficult for you. I think that's something that I'm really impressed by with your music is how clean the mix downs are when you have all of these different kind of competing elements. So anything that's kind of helped you to achieve the mix downs that you've been achieving recently? Yeah, thanks in the first place. And um, yeah, the mix down is like, like two years ago, I was like satisfied with my mix down. But I was like, when I was working at the mixing company, they were like really uh, on the mix down. Like, I was. It's funny because back then, before I worked there, I was like, okay, the process of making a track, like putting it together, was like fifty percent. It was like fifty percent mix down. Yeah. But um, actually, I learned there that uh, mix down is like so important, and even especially like for for club tracks and EDM tracks, like that's that's something you really can stand out with like also for like visual yeah. support it's so important and for life that your trick is coming through in the right way and that it's actually sounding hopefully like fatter and harder than the tricks yeah. that play before it because you want to make an impact so uh what what like a technical advice for production is to always take like the the best fattest mixed and master tracks that you know in the same key as your track and put like an, uh, an AB plugin so you can switch between yeah. the tracks, you can uh, compare them. And uh, don't do it like in your folder or your iTunes, but just drag it in an AB plugin and so you have like zero delay. So you, so when you're ABing it and you're playing your track and then the other track and then your track, your brain um, registrates like the difference. Like if you're lows, yeah. If you have too less low or you need to, to, to boost your lows a little and you, you switch between the tracks, you, you instantly heard it. Your brain hears it. And for example, I always take like Skrillex tracks uh, or like, um, well, yeah, mostly Skrillex tracks or maybe some of my old tracks because I'm like 100% satisfied about an old track. For example, I'm like taking Echo very often for my um, reference for newer tracks. Because I actually wanted to sound my newer tracks always sound at least as good as my previous tracks. So uh, yeah, that's that's like uh, advice I can give. Like A B with like the fattest tracks you can. And as again, when you when you when you do it in an A B plugin, your brain it's, it's like really easy actually for your brain to notice the difference. Like this, also the stereo image, the, the also the highs, maybe some ugly frequencies in the yeah. three to five k range. If your track is like. Like having that frequencies, you know, maybe if you're working in it for two hours, you, you your ears don't even hear it. But when you compare it to another track, then your your brain don't 
eventually it noticed the, the, the frequencies, you know? Yeah. You kind of talked about um, a little bit of what your workflow process is like. I'm curious, are there any tools from a post-processing standpoint, you know, in particular like distortion or saturation that you feel like you reach for often? Yeah, like the uh, like I find out that I actually always put on the FEP filter Saturn on most of yeah. the sounds somehow because I'm doing it for uh, quite a long time already. And um, it's like I'm actually not really using it as a distortion, but more like as an uh, equalizer because it boosts like frequencies like on a different of course if you want to put put up frequencies especially the highs uh, of course you should use like an equalizer but um if i having like a aggressive lead sound and i want to boost the mids i always do that with um also with an equalizer but combine that with like a fulfilled set and just make a a really small um yeah bell as a, or just whatever you want to call it and just drag it into the frequencies and search for the sweep spot because especially with like aggressive leads, you always can add a, add a little bit of extra dirty edge to it. And, um, but that's more like an, still that's, I would rather say that's more like an equalizer for me and distortions, uh, it's like a classic for me, like the camel crusher. It's still, it's, it's so sick. I don't know. It's people are like saying a lot of things about that, but it works so good for me. And also, uh, I just found the driver from Native Instruments. I have I had it on my laptop for like two years already, or I don't know. But um, that's also a really nice one as well, where you can go a little bit more crazier with it than, for example, the camera pressure. So you kind of talked about this earlier in terms of what it took for you to get your unique sound that you have right now. But I'm sure you've been asked this a bunch, so you have kind of a response for it. So what advice would you give to you know, producers who are struggling to find a sound that's uniquely theirs? Yeah, like... I was like, I was thinking of myself, like I will never find like my own sound. I, I like to produce so many different genres that I will never find my own sound. Like I don't have my own yeah. identity. I was like thinking like that. And right now I think I have like, yeah, for myself, I find like so clear, like my sound. And um, for me, it was like um, you, the first, the, like the most important rule is to always to keep, to keep having fun and making music. And um there is a reason why you started making music and that's not probably not to copy someone else, you know, and, yeah. uh, everyone, everyone has this own identical taste and there is a reason why you started making music as well. So I think to find your own sound is always important to, to, if it's like show related, if you want to do shows, then you're gonna like me, you're gonna think like, okay, I wanted to, I wanted to make this track because I like, to play this at shows like short breaks uh every build-up snappy build-ups and then yeah. weird drops because i wanted to, to have like surprise effects um really danceable crazy tracks that delivers like a surprising effect on the on the dance floor and uh, i think if everybody uh, thinks for himself like okay um what do i want to play out live uh what do i really like to produce like if i'm even remaking a track what track would i remake at the end, you just have to, uh, your thing where you have the most fun in making music, which you're making music for fun, to have fun and like spread, spread your inner flame or positivity. I don't know, but um, then you just have to find your the joy in, in making the music. And that's combined with your taste, like everybody has mm. identical taste. So just find out for yourself what you really like the most. Of course, you will like a future house track or whatever, because of course, club track or a housey track, a feature track. 
but there's always one thing that you will like that will like give you that energy vibe and that motivation vibe like okay i want to go in the studio right now and make music and yeah. that vibe is what you what you're gonna search for for yourself so I'm kind of curious on that. It seems like so much of what's inspiring you in the past few has been inspiring you for the past few years to make music is how it's going to translate in a live audience. And right now there's not that many live shows because of the coronavirus pandemic situation. So how have you been walking into the studio or rather how have you been approaching production during this situation given the fact that, you know, those shows aren't as readily available and tangible right now? To be honest, when uh, quarantine started, of course, it was like really uh, shocking because I had to cancel like so many shows and it was yeah. like really bad. But I remember I always told like my friends and my, my family, like I always hope for that moment that where it's like legally allowed to stay inside the studio for three months with nobody blaming you. <laughs> and that moment was finally there. But to yeah. be honest, after two weeks, I was like, what am I doing? What should I do? There's no clubs. I'm making club music. I'm not motivated to make club music. And um, it's always when I made music, like for the last past years, of course, it was in between touring. And I knew when I was making a club track, I was able to test it out live. But that isn't the case at all right now. So uh, for the club tracks, I kind of zoomed out a little bit because I actually already wanted to make like a slight change in my sound to wanted to make it a bit more accessible for the bigger audience because I think mainly that the main listeners are like producers or like really dedicated fans for the aggressive electro right now. And I kind of wanted to, to make my sound a little bit more wider for the bigger audience and maybe even for the radio. But um, I think yeah, at, the, at this point, I really started to zoom out and really experiment more with the style because um, I wasn't, and I'm still to today, I'm not motivated at all to make like the really aggressive club tricks. Of course, that's something I really like to do. And I'm st I'm still, it's not that I don't, I'm not doing it at the moment. But um, yeah, I think this period actually um, kind of made me zoom out a lot and experiment a lot with uh, music styles, uh, which I otherwise wouldn't have mm -hmm. if I was touring right now. Awesome. So a few more questions and then we'll wrap things up. So, you know, I think as producers, I'm absolutely guilty of this. It's easy to focus way too much on production because it is very difficult to, you know, get your 10,000 hours to get to that point where you're making a career off of this. So I'd love to know like what Seth Hills, the producer does outside of music just to stay entertained and be a human outside of dance music. Yeah, that's actually, uh... I'm experimenting with <laughs> a lot since <laughs> yeah. Corona. I'm doing like human things again a lot more. Like um, I'm spending like I'm spending like way more time with my friends or way more time with my family. Um, I already was kind of um, sporty uh, in between touring, of course. Uh, but right now, like I'm uh, boxing for like two days in a week, um, and like oh, the other days, like three or four days, I'm like uh, going to the gym. Yeah. So I'm actually uh, in a really healthy state right now, which I actually wasn't before, you know? So uh, yeah, that's something, yeah. that's the positive side. I have way more time to, 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 to think of my uh, health and like my body. Like it's like weird for me to, to keep sitting inside and work that hard because I, you have like so much time and I, I already yeah. have like so much tracks laying around. So I thought it was time to, to take little, uh, self-care, uh, right now like you make the best out of it now now the time is there so uh, yeah i'm really enjoying doing the sports and uh also in the studio it it's it's like different when you're like when your body is like 
in a good state, you're also translating that in the studio. So it's yeah. a win-win for this. Cool. So to wrap things up, I kind of want to hear what's going to be coming up for you in the next few months. Everybody should definitely go check out your Void EP for really phenomenal tracks on that. But outside of that, what's going to be coming up for you, you know, for the rest of the summer towards the fall? Uh, Music-wise, I have uh, I recorded a new single with a, with a really good uh, singer from the UK. And uh, that's uh, something uh, people probably wouldn't expect in the first place from me. But as I said, like I'm experimenting with like wider sounds, like uh, sounds for like the radio. And um, I finally find something for myself that really fits like the Sad Hills brand. Yeah. But um, it's like something totally different. And I'm really, really excited for it. I'm really curious how people will react to it. And I actually finished it uh, yesterday. So uh, it might be take a while for it to release. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious uh, how the reactions will be. I, I might tease it on my Instagram. Uh, I'll just <laughs> go live on Instagram and just tease it to, to see how people respond. But um, yeah, I also have like, uh, I made a remix, um, which I might make an original from. It's like an aggressive club track. And um, I still, of course, want to do the club tracks even though if uh, the clubs are closed, I still want to put that one out. And um, yeah, I have like more sketches laying out. I'm working on collabs, like really interesting collabs. And um, yeah, I just expect like a lot of music. Like I'm not going to stop. Really, like I see some guys like taking a break from releasing music and which I can fully understand because if you're making club music and the clubs are closed, of course you, go, you can go yeah. quiet for a while. But I can assure that I will keep releasing on music and um yeah i just have i just want to i just wanted to keep on releasing music like radio stuff but also like club stuff so uh, you you guys can definitely expect like at least every two months a release coming awesome sweet well with that we'll wrap things up for this episode you can find seth hill's music in the description of this podcast including the void ep so go check that out this episode is just about over seth's been great chatting with you appreciate you being on the show thanks for having me